If you want a sign that humanity's still got it going on. The people are revolting. Welcome to People Are Revolting, a daily dose of disobedience. This piece is written by Omar Coronel and is published at aljazeera.com. Over the past two months, Peru has seen a historic wave of protests and escalation of violence. Unrest erupted after President Pedro Castillo was removed from power and his vice president, Dina Boulart, took power. Demonstrations across the country have called for her resignation, but Boulart has responded with hostile rhetoric and a heavy-handed crackdown. So far, at least 60 people have been killed in the upheaval. The situation in the country is quite complex. To understand what is happening, we have to look at old rural-urban racist and classist fault lines, which are currently feeding the growing polarization in Peruvian society. In 2021, Pedro Castillo, a rural school teacher with no prior political experience, won the presidential elections in Peru. He ran as a member of the Peru Libre PL, a radical left-wing party which he had only recently joined. Castillo's victory was historic as it marked the first time in the history of the Peruvian Republic that a true man of the people was elected as president. He represented a rural working class and indigenous population that had long been excluded from high positions of power. That created high hopes for Castillo's presidency, which he was not able to meet. In fact, it is no exaggeration to say that his time in office was disastrous. Corruption and incompetence undermined the state's capacity to implement public policy. The turnover in his cabinet was record-breaking with 78 ministers appointed in just 16 months. In Congress, Castillo did not have the support of a majority, and his legislative agenda was repeatedly blocked by the right-wing opposition. He also faced the threat of impeachment twice. In the public sphere, the mainstream media sided with the opposition and started attacking the president and his allies. Some key social organizations, such as the Workers' General Confederation of Peru, CGTP, and the National Agrarian Confederation, CNA, continued to support the government despite its problems as they feared the right-wing coalition would take power if Castillo were to fall. This is why, despite his mistakes in government, the president still had an approval rating of 31% in November 2022, while Congress had just 10%. On December 7, Castillo tried to stop a third attempt to impeach him by dissolving Congress, but failed. He was removed from office, arrested, and replaced by Boulart, who had been expelled from the PL in January 2022 and who had aligned herself with the right-wing opposition. Boulart's move was seen by many on the left as a betrayal. Her intention to stay in power until 2026 further flamed public anger, as only 8% of the public supported her decision. The people who first took to the streets were Castillo's supporters, including members of national organizations such as CGTP, agrarian federations, peasant vigilante committees, and the teachers' union, among others. 
They were joined by peasant communities in the South and Central Andes, who had overwhelmingly voted for the deposed president. These initial protests, which called for the dissolution of Congress, new general elections, and Castillo's release, were still relatively small. But Boulart's government responded with brutal force and aggressive right-wing rhetoric, calling the protesters terrorists. The protests indeed became more violent in certain areas, but the police response was disproportionate, resulting in the deaths of 22 citizens, including four minors, in December. This heavy-handed response only motivated more people to join the protests. Among them were university students, the human rights movement, one of the largest social movements in Peru, and groups who had previously been critical of Castillo. In January, the continuing hostile rhetoric by the government and the massacre in Puno province, which, in which 17 people were killed in one day, further radicalized the protest movement and encouraged many to travel to Lima to demonstrate at the seat of power. This massive mobilization across the country had not been seen since the 2000 protests against authoritarian President Alberto Fujimori. These protests have highlighted issues of racism, classism, and centralism, which have created significant divisions within society and which have remained unaddressed for decades. Tensions between the rural poor and indigenous people and the rich elites in Lima have historically run high, and for a reason. Illiterate people in Peru did not have voting rights until 1979. This meant that the rural and indigenous population was overwhelmingly disenfranchised from most of the 20th century. Just as they finally gained the right to vote, these communities were terrorized by a wave of violence triggered by the Shining Path insurgency in rural areas and the brutal response of the government in Lima. In the 1990s, Fujimori's authoritarian government further marginalized indigenous and peasant communities by recentralizing the country and using a politics of fear to stave off dissent, especially in regions with larger indigenous populations. Since the political system in Peru finally opened up in the 2000s, the country's poor and indigenous people have struggled to organize politically and make their voices heard. They have been consistently underrepresented in Congress and state institutions. Whenever they have protested to express their political grievances, the political elite in Lima has dismissed their demands, labeling them as ignorant and easily manipulated. This has also been reflected in the government's insistence on labeling the protesters as members of the Shining Path or agents of a foreign government. Some local leaders of the protests were associated with the Shining Path in the past, but the group is not actively leading the protests. It is only surviving military faction. The militarized Communist Party of Peru operates in the rainforest as a protector of narco-traffic organizations and has no presence in the demonstrations. Such accusations thrown are deeply offensive to the protesters from rural areas and some of the organizations, as many of them had confronted and defeated the Shining Path in the countryside in the late 1980s. The government has also blamed neighboring Bolivia for the protests, but there is no concrete evidence of this connection besides political sympathy and cultural ties between the Aymara people on both sides of the border. The divisive rhetoric of the government has been confronted by an unprecedented outpouring cross-class and cross-country solidarity, which came to the fore in the protest march in Lima. Protesters from across the country raised funds in their hometowns to travel and stay in the capital. 
When they arrive, they are welcomed and supported by Lima-based organizations and individuals. Some residents of the capital even open their houses to host the protesters. More than two months after taking power, Bullard still refuses to step down. According to polls, support for the protest was at 59% at the end of January. Some 74% demand the president's resignation. 73% are calling for new elections this year. And 69% are in favor of calling a constituent assembly. Attempts to centralize protest demands have so far failed. While some protesters aim to rebuild the country through constitutional reform that would change the economic model and establish Peru as a plurinational state, others only seek a return to democracy and institutional changes. The one shared goal among the protesters is the resignation of Boulart and early elections. If she does resign and early elections are held, protests for a constituent assembly and justice for victims will likely continue. But most protesters will demobilize. If the new government avoids arbitrary repression and holds a fair election, the demands may be incorporated into the campaign. On the other hand, if the president maintains power solely through repression, it is probable that the protests of significant magnitude will continue, characterized by fluctuating intensity, particularly in Lima and the southern regions. The perception of impunity on one side and support for authoritarianism on the other will energize radical actors. The weakness of Peru's political actors makes it difficult to imagine the consolidation of an authoritarian regime. But there are other paths we must fear. Even if Pilar resigns peacefully or transfers power following elections, Peru still faces underlying structural issues. It has weak overall state capacity and meaningless political parties that produce politicians who lack the motivation to be accountable to their constituents. A system full of political amateurs has generated endemic instability that makes the country ungovernable. Peru is a cautionary tale for democracies with a flawed political system. Reforms, though necessary, will take time to produce substantial change. Therefore, it is time to explore innovative ways to engage civil society organizations in the reform debate and give the people a sense of being heard and having an impact on political decisions or else democracy risks losing its significance. If you want to check out back episodes of People Are Revolting, just go to peoplearerevolting.com. You can also follow on Twitter, at People Revolting. Keep revolting, and thanks for listening. still got it going on the people are revolting i think you just nailed it